You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning. Go ahead and remain standing. I want to begin by reading from the from 1 John chapter 3:11-20. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to First Christian Church. I, as Jimmy said, am not the normal guy preaching uh, this morning. If you're visiting with us, I'm just a guy. And uh, I'm one of the elders here at First. I've been an elder here for about the last 10 years-ish or so, uh, and been attending here since the mid-90s. I don't even know how I came to First Christian Church, to be honest with you. I, I really don't, kind of by accident. Uh, got involved in the youth group about my senior year of high school. And at the time, we had a youth choir. And the youth choir trip that summer was to go to California, and we were going to Disneyland. So I'll be honest, I just wanted to go to Disneyland. I'd never been. Didn't get to travel much as a kid like that, so I, I joined the youth group to go. But, but that meant I had to be in the choir. And I was telling Elsie Ward, I was like, I'm not singing. You can't make me sing. I was a trumpet player, so I knew a little bit about music. But I wasn't going to be singing. I, I was like, I'll do lights. I'll do the soundboard. But you can't. Then, like, two weeks later, I'm trying out for a solo. And then... There was this girl who was bugging me. She was a freshman, and I was like, wanted nothing to do with her. And now we're going to be married for like 22 years come July. So, anyway, that's who I am. Um, if you're watching from home, thank you for joining us. Uh, keep in mind that the camera adds 10 pounds, and and there's two cameras. There's one there, and there's one over there. So you got to cut me like 20 pounds of slack. All right. So, the reason why I'm preaching today is because uh, during our elders' meetings, we have a devotional time. And every month, an elder leads the, the devotional. And I can't remember if it was last month or the month before that. Uh, I led the devotional, and, and Brady said, you know, that was pretty good. Uh, have you ever thought about preaching? I said, well, I did it once, you know, 10 years ago or something. And he's like, well, give it some thought, because, you know, if you tweak that a little bit, it could be a decent sermon. And, and, so, and then he, like the next day, he's like, well, did you give it any thought? And I'm like, just tell me you want me to preach, Brady. And he's like, and he's like, well, how does April 3rd sound? 
was like, this guy had this planned, like well in advance to be out. He didn't tell me, but he had it planned well in advance, better than I did. So anyway, I appreciate the opportunity. It's my pleasure to be speaking. By the end of it, I don't know if you'll take any pleasure in it, but, you know, that's the way it goes. All right. So about a month ago, I was scrolling the Internet, came across this Internet post. And the Internet post was, if you could get rid of anything in the world, what would it be? And I don't know if you remember, but Brady asked the same question to our eight-year-olds the last time that we had uh, a family service together. And he called on Karsten. And Karsten's like deer in the headlights. He's like, he does not deal well with surprises. Like anything's out of routine, he's like, he shuts down. And so he's like, I don't know what to say. Later he told me he would have gotten rid of taxes. I was like, okay, that's a pretty mature thought for an eight-year-old. But the reason is, is because when he goes to buy a toy at the store, like we've taught him, he has to like account for the taxes. And if the toy's 10 bucks, it's really going to be like 11 or $12. He thinks it's a scam, but you know. Well, probably a lot of us are with him. So, anyway, I'm reading through this post. If you could get rid of anything in the world, what would it be? And, like, my mind kind of goes to, like, the, the fun stuff, right? Like, I'd get rid of candy corn. Like, I don't need candy corn in my life. Pineapple on pizza. I don't need that either. I, I know, it's, it's like, it's sacrilegious to some people to not put pineapple on pizza. It's like not putting green chili on a cheeseburger in New Mexico. So then other parts were more serious. And as you scroll through, you kind of get to the serious stuff, right? Like cancer. If you get rid of anything in the world, I get rid of cancer, poverty, poverty, or war. And then some were like, you didn't know if they were joking or not. Like somebody was like Amazon. I'd get rid of Amazon and Jeff Bezos, right? I think PD put that one down. Um, But my thought process was, at the time that I was considering, well, maybe I need to take this a little bit more seriously, too. And at the time, Russia had just invaded Ukraine, right? So that war had just begun. And and, uh, Brady had just spoke on Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 was about getting rid of hostilities between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so as I'm reading through that internet post, I started to think of, well, what do these things all have in common? And whether they were funny or serious, or you didn't know if they were funny or serious, the one thing they all had in common is whoever put it down hated it, hated whatever it was they wanted to get rid of. They, they, didn't, they didn't care for it. They didn't want it in their lives anymore. And so I started thinking about hate in general. What does it mean to hate? And if I could get rid of anything, I think I'd get rid of hate. But then you start thinking about what the Bible says about hate. And the Bible treats hate sort of as a given, right? We just read it in 1 John chapter 3, where it says, Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Now, depending on your version, it might say, Do not be astonished if the world hates you. Others will say, do not be astonished when the world hates you. Treating hate as a given. Matthew 10.22 says, you will be hated by all because of my name. Proverbs and Romans implore us to hate evil. Right? Luke 6.22, blessed are you when people hate you 
And when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. So, hate as an emotion, it seems like it's not necessarily wrong per se if we're asked to hate evil or told that it may be a blessing to us if people hate us on the account of Son of Man. So that gets me like, that gets me really thinking. And so we know that hate exists. And sometimes hate seems omnipresent, right? Like it's everywhere, like, like God himself. I mean, just this morning, I couldn't sleep last night, to be honest with you. Kind of like running through this in my head. And uh, I woke up kind of early and I go downstairs and the first thing I see is there was a shooting in Sacramento last night. Like six people dead, nine people injured. I, mean, I think they were still counting. It's like this violent stuff just happens everywhere all the time. It drives me nuts. But even though we know hate exists and we know that it's going to be a given somewhere, some way in our lives, there's no law of hate. It isn't gravity, right? Like if you're sitting under the hate tree, hate isn't going to fall off the tree and hit you in the head just because. But what is hate? And so it got me thinking, what exactly is hate? What does it mean to hate? So there's a couple definitions of hate. Right? First one I looked up was Oxford. Oxford Dictionary defines hate as intense or passionate dislike. I'm like, oh, that's me. There's a lot of stuff I'm intensely passionate disliking about. Like, there's tons, right? Like the Raiders. I hate the Raiders. Or Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, if you don't know who he is, he was the, he was the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots went to the Broncos, ruined my Broncos, went back to the Patriots, and now he's the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So now it's awesome because I can direct all my hate towards Sin City. Right? Peeps. It's Easter time and I hate those marshmallow peeps. Just disgusting. But that kind of hate isn't really what I mean. Right? Like, you kind of hate those kind of things. But it's not like the hate that leads to violence or to action, right? So when you look up Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of hate, it kind of hits closer to home. And the way Merriam-Webster defines it, intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or sense of injury. Well, that hits a close, little bit closer to home because that describes hate as an emotion that you can feel and there's like some root to it there's some justification in it right there's anger there's despair there's a sense of harm that's the kind of hate that causes somebody to act and when people act out in hate it usually goes terribly it's the kind of hate that causes somebody to walk into a church or a school and shoot it up so much so that we have to have a safety ministry here. Where we have to have somebody monitoring our facility during service in order to help prevent something like that from happening. It's nuts. What about the kind of hate that causes somebody to abuse a child? I hate that, right? 
That's the evil I hate. Somebody that takes advantage of the disabled or the elderly. I get so many scam texts on my phone or email. Scammers, fishers, I mean, whatever. Like, if you're not on top of it, some of them look pretty legitimate, right? That's the kind of hate that I hate. What if you've been the victim of something traumatic? You might hate your abuser, right? Have you ever hated God? Have you ever felt like you wanted to hate God? I'll raise my hand. Absolutely. Any time a young child dies for no reason whatsoever, I'm like, what is that, God? What are you doing with that? What does that mean? I don't have any answers to it. All I have is questions. What about the type of hate that causes two men to lure another man into their vehicle, drive him out to the woods, beat him half to death, leave him hanging on a barbed wire fence to die. What about that kind of hate? Because the guy was gay. What about that kind of hate? That happened in 1998 in Wyoming. And the young, young man's name was Matthew Shepard. That's the kind of hate that I hate. Now, when I introduce myself to you, one of the things that I didn't mention is that I'm a lawyer. It's what I do. It's how I pay the bills. Right? So we're going to talk about some legal stuff today. And hopefully you see it as a little bit of an education, and I don't mean it to be legalistic from a biblical sense of view. All right? So Matthew Shepard's name is on the Hate Crimes Prevention Act. It was passed into law in 2009. And its purpose is to increase the federal government's protection and enforcement over people that commit hate crimes. All right? And the Justice Department defines hate crimes as a crime motivated by bias against race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or disability. So those are actual crimes, usually crimes of violence that are considered hate crimes. But then they also have a separate designation for bias or hate incident. And a bias or hate incident is an act of prejudice that are not crimes and do not involve violence, threats, or property damage. So the Justice Department distinguishes between the two. Right? But what motivates somebody to commit a hate crime? So there's a recent CNN article that I found, and they kind of narrow it down, these hate crimes, into a couple different things. The first one, they said, thrill seekers. These are people, I call them young, dumb, and probably drunk, right? And I see this in my line of work sometimes, especially where you have two uh, populations that are assimilating against each other. Uh, a good example is like in the Four Corners region. You got Farmington, New Mexico, and then you got the Navajo Reservation, right? And so sometimes you got dumb, young, and drunk driving around Farmington, and they find somebody from the reservation, and that person doesn't make it back to the reservation. 
young, dumb, drunk. Okay? Those are your thrill seekers. These are, crimes are often committed in defense of a neighborhood, uh, their workspace. Sometimes they're trying to defend their religion, those sorts of things. Recently, we watched uh, West Side Story as a family. It's the new one with Steven Spielberg's version. And you kind of see that take place in West Side Story, right? You've got a Puerto Rican population moving into New York, uh, which was a white neighborhood. And there's a funny, it's funny to me, scene in West Side Story where you see a guy uh, replacing an Irish pub sign that, was re- that had been replaced by a Puerto Rican business. And it's funny to me because just a generation before that, it was the Irish that were moving into the neighborhood and being ostracized. So we were watching West Side Story and Karsten is into it. Like, you know, we, we didn't know what he would think about it. My, my son is eight years old and he was into the, into the story. And the, uh, I'll give you some spoiler alerts here, but it's based on Romeo and Juliet, so somebody's gonna die, all right? And, and Karsten says, there's an epic knife scene, knife fight. And at the beginning of the scene, Karsten was like, stop the movie, pause, pause, stop the movie. And we're like, what, what, what's up? And he said, is anybody going to die? And we said, well, yeah, I mean, it's a knife fight. Somebody's probably going to die in a knife fight. And he's like, I don't want to watch it. I'm done. Turn it off. Because he had invested in these characters. And what had happened is we had to stop the movie every once in a while to explain to him, you know, this is what's happening got a new population moving into this neighborhood. The old neighborhood doesn't like it too much. They're fighting each other. This isn't the appropriate way to act, that sort of thing. And so anyway, but he had been invested in these characters and he didn't want anybody to get hurt. And so then we wonder why we're asked to take on the nature of children by Jesus, right? Like he just didn't want anybody to get hurt. The verse that immediately came to mind to me was Matthew 18, 3. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That verse immediately came to mind to me when my eight-year-old son told us to turn off the TV because he didn't want somebody to get hurt. Now we put him to bed and finished the movie, but you know. (laughs) So you got your thrill seekers. The next group uh, that CNN identified were these retaliators, people that were getting back at people for a harm or revenge or something like that that had been done to them. The next are the Avengers, not like the movie, The Avengers. But these are people that are, uh, they act alone. These are your Timothy McVeighs, your Unabombers, the people that lock themselves in a cave and write a manifesto against the world, right? And then you have mission offenders. I'm going to spend some time on mission offenders. Mission offenders are crimes that are committed by people who consider themselves crusaders, either for a racial or religious cause. And their mission is to engage in total war against members of a rival race or religion. And they're often linked to groups that share their views, right? In my opinion, the people that do this in the name of Christianity are people that have taken Old Testament stories of God's judgment and wrath and use that as justification for their own actions. And what they've done is they've replaced God's judgment for their own. I was once a mission offender. I got to be honest. I was young, dumb, not drunk, but young and dumb. 
And I was at work one night late, and I was a manager, shift manager at this pizza place. You may or may not know. It employs half of Albuquerque, so you probably know it. Um, and there was a, 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 a couple that came in after close. And it was, it was pretty common for people to come in after close because we're all friends, right? And they'd come in after close and hang out and you know, wait for their friends to get off and then they'd go out and do their thing or whatever. And we called them the Sarahs because both of their names were Sarah. And they were a couple. And they came in after close one night and they were kind of being distracting, to be honest. Sometimes when people came in after close, they'd like fold pizza boxes or something, right? So we could get out of there sooner. But they were kind of distracting and driving me nuts. And, you know, it was taking forever to get things done. And finally, I just, I like snapped. And I told them exactly what I thought of them. As a young Christian, young and dumb, exactly what I thought of them and exactly what I thought of their relationship. And I felt good about it. To be honest, at the time, I told them exact. I used every slur you could think of, every curse word I could think of. And let me tell you, I used to cuss like a Ukrainian soldier. I did. And one day, Danae was like, if you're going to talk like that, we can't date. So I had to change my ways. But I did. I told them off. I told them exactly what I thought. And I told them what I thought was right at the time. And I was wrong. So you might be sitting here thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I haven't shot up anybody. I haven't driven my car into a parade of people. The point is, is that we need to look at our own biases, right? The things that we hate. Determine why. Determine the things that we have intense hostility and aversion about. Does that intense hostility and aversion come from fear or anger or sense of injury? And does our bias prevent us from following Jesus or prevent others from following Jesus? I want to take a moment just to appreciate um, Brady for a second. He keeps us on task like you wouldn't believe. A while back, we had a need that needed to be met. It was during COVID. I can't even tell you now what the need was. And we were like, this needs to be our top priority. We need to get this need taken care of. Whatever, this, you know, whatever the need was, it needed to be our top priority. And Brady said, no. Our top priority needs to be making sure that that person can follow Jesus. There's always going to be needs. But the greatest need is the need to follow Jesus. So when I talk about this bias, what kind of things make you say, I can't deal with this? Or what kind of people say, what kind of people are they that say, I can't deal with those kind of people? And ask yourself why? And is that appropriate? And is it preventing you from following Jesus? And is it preventing them from following Jesus? Because most often not, if you than not. If you have that kind of attitude, it is inhibiting you from following Jesus. So what can you do about it? This, obviously, this is a matter of opinion, and some of you may disagree with me, but this is a big one to me. Know that your opinion of someone else does not matter to them unless 
you have developed a relationship with them and they have seen Christ-like behavior in you. Now, notice I didn't say Christian behavior because unfortunately Christian behavior isn't often synonymous with Christ-like behavior. Two, watch your tongue. Guilty. Guilty on Sunday afternoons, even now, watching football. Guilty driving down the road in Albuquerque, right? Guilty at 5 o'clock in the morning when the cats are making noise. Right? My tongue got me in big trouble at work. I got called into the CEO's office. The CEO called me, get your butt down here. I had to sit in his office, get chewed up one side and down the other, got demoted, said, you're not a manager, go make pizzas and shut up, don't say anything else, right? And I never really was able to repair the relationship with one of the Sarahs. One of the Sarahs and I kind of like got along after that, we kind of reconciled and got along, but the other Sarah wanted nothing to do with me. Had an EEOC complaint filed against me because I had taken an adverse employment action against a member of a protected class. That was fun, explaining to an EEOC, EEOC investigator or a scumbag, right? So, watch your tongue. If you have to rebuke and correction is necessary, do so in a manner that is in love and save it for when it really matters. I think the best example of this is Jesus and Peter. Right? Jesus' strongest rebuke, I think, in the Bible was when he told Peter, get away from me, Satan, towards the end. Why? Why was it so strong? Because Jesus was being separated from the will of God by Peter, or attempting to, right? Jesus, Peter was trying to interrupt Jesus' way of following the Father. And that was when it really mattered. So save your rebuke for when it matters and do so in love. And think about that a little bit more. Did Jesus have relationship with Peter? Yes, absolutely, right? They'd spent the last three or so years together. Did Jesus rebuke in love? Jesus didn't do anything outside of love. Did Peter witness Christ-like behavior from Christ? Duh, right? Did Peter listen? Probably not, it's Peter. Next, love what is good. We're going to have differences with people. People are going to do things we don't like, people, things that, they don't, that we don't agree with. But love what is good about them. Focus on what is good about them. Develop the relationship and what is good about them. I am friends with Raiders fans. I am. I have like one. Right? But love what is good. Romans 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Detest what is evil and cling to what is good. Titus 1.8 says, and it's just talking about leaders or elders, Be hospitable, a lover of goodness, prudent, upright, devout, and self-controlled. So, you know, we were in a meeting one time, and as an elder, I'm reading Titus 1.8. Be hospitable, a lover of goodness, 
prudent, upright, devout, and so I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't mean half of this stuff half the time or most of the time or even all the time. And Jimmy says, well, I'll give you hospitable. So focus on the good. There are very few canes in the world. Very few Mansons, Ted Bundys. Love what is good about people. Focus on that. Engage in that in your relationship with them. Engage with them in a Christ-like manner. Follow Jesus. Help others to follow Jesus. That goes a long way to getting rid of the hate. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you so much for your son and his example of love and goodness. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this group of people that we get to lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.